All right, hopefully you met someone. Um, only when you met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. I know you guys love, you love that time of meet and greet, and I'm so proud of you guys for getting better. You guys get better at it every week. It's great. Hey, uh, again, just want to say welcome. So glad you guys are here. My name is Josiah. Uh, if you are new, uh, welcome. I would love to meet you after and say what's up. Uh, do me a favor, turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along with us. But Matthew chapter 7 is where we're at. Hey, while you're turning there, quick announcement. Um, this is our last week to announce this, so we'll share this again at the end. But next Sunday after church, we are having a baptism. Um, we're going to meet just north of the Deerfield Beach Pier. And we are going to baptize some people. A couple of you have signed up. I'm looking so forward to this. I love baptisms. It's a way for us to publicly declare our love for God and to just do what Jesus did and to just obey him. He says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's our goal. We want to teach people the ways of Jesus. We want to do that also one by baptizing people and obeying that command. So I cannot wait for next uh, Sunday, 1.30. Church is over. We're going to drive over there and do a baptism. So if you haven't been baptized, if you if questions come talk to us we'd love to answer any of those you can go to our website sign up online under events and uh, I would give you a call and we'll just talk through baptism a little bit all right hey Matthew chapter 7 um, we last week started a new series on spiritual formation and I'm so excited about this in case you have questions or what is this and spiritual formation and this is just week two so we know there's a lot of questions from this, uh, but we want to be made into the image of Jesus by the Spirit through certain practices and disciplines that God has given us over time. And I love this because this, we're trying to answer the question of how do we change? How do we actually become more like Jesus? How do we sit under the teachings of Jesus and then actively apply the teachings of Jesus? Shouldn't the church do that? Shouldn't we hear the word and do it? And so that's kind of our hope. In case you're wondering, what is spiritual formation, this term? I've, I've heard this before. And what is this? Here's kind of the definition I put together uh, through a lot of other guys. Um, here's what they wrote. Spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. This is essentially a series on spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms, practicing the ways of Jesus, some people might call it just means of grace or habits of grace. There's a lot of ways you could talk about this, but it's actively us doing what Jesus did for the sake of growth, for the sake of God growing us into more into the image and likeness of Jesus, that we might experience intimacy with Jesus. Remember, we talked about this last week, and I just want to give a, give a brief overview so you kind of know what's going on, uh, but as we talked about spiritual formation, here's this idea. We're all being shaped and formed by something and into something. Every day, things shape our worldview, our lifestyle, our habits, who we are as people. And that can either happen unintentionally or intentionally. So we kind of put this up. We'll show this again. Unintentional uh, spiritual formation is, first of all, the stories we believe. There's a lot of different narratives that are just thrown out about life, God, sex, morality, whatever you want to talk about. There's different stories that are thrown out there that shape us. Uh, our habits shape us. Our relationships, our friend group, what we've done to others, what others have done to us, and our environment. We know that just unintentionally things shape us all the time. At your office, when people are talking a certain way, maybe you are shaped by that and join in in that. Uh, every, any scenario you can think, it just shapes us who we are and just and either for good or for bad. Or there's intentional spiritual formation. So we threw this up. I want you just to hear this again because we're talking through this. Intentional spiritual formation is in place of the stories we believe is teaching. In place of our habits 
is practice. In place of our relationships is community. And in place of our environment is the Holy Spirit. You see, in the church, we want to be very intentional by what forms us and shapes us. There's a lot of narratives and worldviews being thrown. We want to look at the teachings of Jesus. Uh, there are a lot of relationships can form us. We want to be in community. We want to be in community with people who love the Lord or in his word. Instead of just our habits that we just picked up on from family or life or whatever, we want to take on new practices is what we're talking about today. And last week we talked about just the role of the Holy Spirit, how he shapes us and forms us. How the Bible says how he metamorphosized us. He made us a new creation. He made us alive. So just to catch you up, last week we looked at just the work of the Holy Spirit, how we're like a recipient of what just God does to us, how we're passive in it, but also how we're active. We walk with the Spirit. We want to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's also this passive side and there's this active side. And here's what we're looking at today. We're going to look at simply uh, practicing the way of Jesus. Practicing the way of Jesus. As a church, you could say our aim is to practice the way of Jesus. One way to put it is this. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. I want you to hear this, church. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So what did Jesus, like, what was his practices? What did he do? Did he wake up early? Did he stay up late? Like, did he pray? Did he, was he in the Word? Like, I want to know about Jesus. Was he in silence and solitude and script? Like, tell me about the ways of Jesus. That's what we want to do today. We want to practice the ways of Jesus. Isn't this good? How many of you want to experience the life of Jesus? Let's adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let's take on and live out what he did in this way. This is my hope for us today. Guys, my hope is as we do this, this has been so pivotal for me the last few weeks. I feel like God just kind of brought to just my remembrance things I once did or participated in, and God's like pushed me back to, just by the grace of God, to get, give myself over to these disciplines and practices, to create space for going on walks with God, for waking up early, for just letting the word speak to me, for just being in silence, being quiet and still. This is some of the things that I really do believe as we give God room and space to work, we will experience a fresh outpouring of his spirit. Because we, we talked about this last week, but we cannot force the hand of God to bless us or bring revival, but I do believe we can live and position ourselves in such a way where we do create room for to say, God, you work, you do something new. You know, that one day called it channels of grace. Just we're trying to create channels of grace. And God, we're, we're putting ourselves in a place where we want to hear from you and receive from you. My hope and prayer is that everyone here would be just free from certain insecurities, addiction, bondage, just serving yourself, just that guilt and shame you walk through and experience when you serve yourself, that we'd be those who put on the Lord Jesus and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? This is so important for us as a church. I, can, I don't know how much to express. I hope that this idea of formation will be, just be something we'll go back to all the time. It'll just be a part of our DNA. That we'll never just come here to read and study the Bible without the mindset of, but God changed me and shaped me into the image of what we just read. I want to be made like, more like you. I don't want to just study and grow in information. I also want to grow in just my practical life with you. Amen? So we're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. We're going to read our text then we'll pray, and then we'll look at this more in depth. But Matthew chapter 7, you guys know this. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached, the most enlightened sermon ever preached. There's so many, just, there's so many things we could focus on, but we're not going to get into that today. But we're going to look at the very ending of Matthew 7, the conclusion of Matthew 7. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Here's what Jesus says. This is how he closes out the greatest sermon ever preached. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him, liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall." the end. <laughs> what a way to close out a sermon. If I just ended that way, I was like, good night, like, or good morning, whatever. But what a way to close out a sermon. I, I want you to just hear the, the heart of Jesus. He goes, whoever hears these things and does them is like a wise man. I'm going to read this one more time. I'm going to pray. It just kind of sinks into our hearts a little bit. Because all of us right now are hearing the words of Jesus, and we have two options. There's just two options, Jesus said. So let's just hear this one more time. Um, I'm actually going to read it to you this time. In the NIV version, I think it does a good job. It says, here's what it says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We want to talk about putting Jesus' teachings and example into practice, practicing the ways of Jesus. So let's pray and ask God to really apply this to our hearts today. So let's pray. Father, we just, um, we thank you so much for this, you're just your word, this incredible sermon that I think a lot of times we're guilty of studying, but not maybe applying, of trying to memorize, but just not live out. God, I just really do ask that we would be a community who hears the word, loves it, meditates on it, enjoys it, and then does it. And we want to be made more like your son, Jesus. And um, God, we just want to see that transformation that can happen in our world when the church does what you intended it to do. So Lord, just speak to us now and move in this place in your name. Amen. You know, I can remember being a young lad when we received or bought our first home desktop computer. Now, I don't know if you remember that or ever had that. Maybe you're just too young for that. Some of you definitely are. Um, but I remember, I think it was like 1997, we bought our first house computer, our first home computer. My grandpa was the first person I ever saw who had like a home computer. And I just thought like my grandpa was so ahead of the time. Like my grandpa had a, like a home computer. And so I think it was 97. I was about eight or nine years old at that time. And we got the computer and I was like so excited, but I had no idea what to do with it. Like, what do you, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to type. There's like social media and I wouldn't have gone out of that anyways at that age. But like, what do, you, what do you do? I remember when I was a kid, we got this. I would just go on Nick.com. That's for Nickelodeon. Like Nick.com and play these games. And I'd be like so into these games. Like the first kind of computer games I ever played. And I'd be like so into it. Then someone would pick up the house phone, right? And then you're like, you're like what happened? Like, I lost my game. And you're like, you're like, who picked up the phone? You'd yell and there's gonna be a big fight in the house. And, or you'd like hear that just terrible, obnoxious sound. And I remember like, I had no idea what to do with this. It was just so like exciting. But again, I couldn't like type or I didn't know what, like what's the internet? We're still exploring all this. And it was just such a weird time in the nineties. I don't know, but it's like, what do I do? And I, I, I look at this and I talk about this in this way because I realized my kids and many of you in here don't have memories of what it's like to live without a computer. Like, I have memories of not having a computer in our house. 
Like, I remember going outside and, and playing. Like, for me, screen time was like I got the 1988 Game Boy. Like, that was screen time. Now we have, like, screen time with our kids. Like, that's all they know. I'm like, it's so sad. They don't know what it's like to just have, like, fun, like, unadulterated fun with no screens and no computers. And, and it's crazy because as, you know, I actually remember this is totally side note, but um, I did my first paper that we had to, like, type. We had to type up. I did it on a typewriter. I literally was like a kid doing a typewriter, like, ding, 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 slink. Like, do that whole thing. And then when you mess, when you mess up, you there to just like, take it out and start all over it's wide out the whole thing. It was awful. I'm so thankful for, for computers. But anyways, um, it was one of those things where for us in the 90s to 2000s to today in 2019, I wouldn't think of just about how fast technology has, has grown. I mean, there's books written about this. There's, it's crazy to think what's happened the last 20, 25 years. It's mind-blowing to think how much information t- technology has grown. And think about this. This is the concern I have, and this is what many people are bringing up. Um, we have this giant gap between information and application. So we have this giant gap between all the information we can get at any point in time and then our lifestyle and our habits. So for example, I think especially for Christians, this is dangerous. Um, I can listen to a sermon by anyone at any time. I can read books. I can listen to books now. I can listen to books while I'm reading online about ser- I can. We can take in so much. I mean, like when I think about a library, I'm like, I have a library on my computer through Logos Bible software. I can access anything, anyone, anytime. Like, we have crazy access to information. Everyone here has that but how much of it is actually being carried out and applied into our daily life? You see, when we stand before God and we give an account for our life, it's not how much, how many podcasts did you listen to, how many books did you read, it's what did you do with what you knew? And that, that is a sobering thought for me and I, I think many of us. The bizarre thing to me about this is, is this, um, we have information, we have access to information, any author, any point in time, at any part of the world, which is absolutely my, I can order a book and it's here in two days. Like, it's mind-blowing the access of information we have to, and yet we still, I think, have a biblically illiterate generation. That's, the thing, that's one thing I don't get. Those who really know the word. And then those who do know the word, how much of it is carried out? And, and this is where we kind of land today. That Jesus doesn't just say, and this is what we, I think, can, I can fall in this trap of knowing something is the same as doing something, and that's a lie. Just because you know the word, or memorize it, or care about it, or even love it, it doesn't mean we're actively doing it, and applying it, and living it out. Knowing the word of God is not the same thing as doing the word of God. We, we cannot fall into that trap. Jesus didn't say, come and just, like, learn my information, and memorize, and just, but he's like, learn from me, do what I did, practice what I practice, carry this. He invites us into discipleship. He's like, come. I want you to be like me. So first we're with Jesus, and hopefully over time we become like Jesus so that we can do what Jesus did. This is the, this is the idea. This is the goal. Not just like have good information and have Bible verses, but like how do we actively live this out and experience this? And I really do believe God is kind of changing, I think, even the church into this mindset. I really do believe, and I have so much hope for this church, for the church and the generations to come, because I think we're realizing it's not, it's not just about the shallow view of— when I was like growing up, I think the main thought for a lot of people in the church was, how do I get to heaven when I die? All right, let me just, let's just talk about this. There's an old concern that was just like, how do I get to heaven when I die? And let me just be really clear. I hope everyone here knows when they die where they'll be. I hope everyone here believes in Jesus Christ. I, like the Bible says, it's so simple. Believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's so simple. I hope all of you have that confidence. But here's what I, I feel like happened, in, at least what I saw in the church like in the 90s and 2000s. is like, that's all we were concerned about. How do I get to heaven when I die? And it's like, okay, I want people to know. I want them to be confident and sure. But here's the thought. I think it's, God doesn't just want us to go, okay, we're saved, and now let me just like 
just stay in that place for the next 50 years until I die. Like, there's something I think more, so that's an old concern. Here's a new passion. A new passion is what does it look like to live fully aware of God and his presence and to carry out God's will in the present moment? Here's, I see the question changing. And I'm so thankful for this today. I think there was like this big, like, oh, do you know where you'll be when you die? Great question. But I think what God is trying to do in our lives is I want you not just to know where you'll be when you die, but how can you be fully aware of me and my presence and carry out my will on the earth? How can, you, how can we pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, and participate in the application of God's kingdom being done? Church, I hope you're hearing me on this. I'm not trying to diminish the, your security of your salvation. I, I want everyone to know where they'll be when they take their last breath. But I really think that we gotta, like, in a sense, move on from just this thought of, that's the thing that haunts, like, I think God's saying, I want you to take my will to the ends of the earth. I want you to carry out this message wherever you go. And I see God just doing this thing. So here's, here's why I'm bringing this up today. Our desire as a church is to practice the ways of Jesus. Like, what does that even mean? We'll talk about that. But let's just really quick walk through just the points today, the thoughts today, what we see in the scriptures. Here's the three things we're going to look at. First and foremost, as a church, we practice the way of Jesus. We practice the way of Jesus. Next, we'll look at why practice the way of Jesus. And I think what's lost a lot of times is how to practice the way of Jesus. All right? So we practice the way of Jesus. Why practice the way of Jesus? How to practice the way of Jesus? Let's get the first one. Uh, We practice the way of Jesus. That might be a weird term. We practice the way of Jesus. Uh, Again, it's it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I'm going to read it to you this time in the NIV again. He says, simply put, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. That phrase, I want to look at that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like, who puts them into practice. Okay, here's the idea. We practice the ways, the way of Jesus. You're like, Josiah, what do you mean? Uh, This word practice is is just simply uh, this word poeo. It just means it's not enough to hear. It literally just means um, we're committing to, we're obeying, we're trusting, we're practicing like we would a skill or a habit. So here's why I'm bringing this up to us today. We want to be a group of people that practice the way of Jesus. Now, maybe you hear that and go, but isn't Jesus the way? Absolutely. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let me be really clear. Jesus is the way. He's the way, the only way to the God, the Father, only way to eternal life. Jesus is the way. But also, Jesus talks about the way of Jesus. He talks about this lifestyle of following him the way of Jesus. So what, is, what does that look like? So here's kind of a question I want to throw out there, and um, this has kind of been divided in the church in some ways, like an overemphasis in one or the other. Here's the question. Is Jesus Messiah and Savior, or is he teacher rabbi? Answer, we would say, is both. Both. But here's what happens in the church. I really want you to focus on this with me. I think throughout history, we kind of have either an overemphasis on one or the other. So for example, maybe just the a secular, more liberal culture will look at Jesus as a great rabbi, great teacher, but we diminish the fact of his death and resurrection, his vicarious death and resurrection on our behalf. And we'll like ignore that. Like he's, mis- like he's a great teacher, but Messiah, son of God, God in the flesh, no. Or what you can do is like Jesus died and rose again, and that's, that's your only, you forget about his life. You forget about his teachings. You forget about what he l- did and said and lived his example he left us. See, Jesus is meant to be our Messiah and Savior, and he's meant to be our rabbi teacher. Do you guys follow me on this? This is so important. Because I look to Jesus first and foremost as he is the way. 
He's the only way to God. There's also a way of Jesus, a lifestyle of Jesus, following Jesus, what that looks like, how we carry that out. One author, Mark uh, Scandretti, said it this way, our ability to practice the way of Jesus is shaped by our understanding of who he is and what his message and work mean for our lives. It is clear that Jesus intended for his disciples and later followers to actually do the things he did and taught. He goes, it's not, how we view him will shape how we obviously live. So um, when I say the way of Jesus, you're like, this is such a weird, what does that mean, the way of Jesus? Do you know that the early church, I know that many of you know this, but the early church was simply called the way. The church in the book of Acts over and over again was called the way, the way of Jesus. This is what they referred to in the term. Their lifestyle was so different. It's like, well, consider that group the way. One, I think in reference to Jesus being the way. Jesus is the way, not the church. Jesus is the way, but we also follow the way of Jesus. So here's some verses on the church being called the way. It's mind-blowing. Uh, it's said about Paul in Acts chapter 9, if, or Saul. If he, Saul, found any belonging to the way, men or women, he was going to bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts 19. Uh, some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of, you can say it, of the way before the congregation. Uh, Acts 19.23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning uh, Acts 24. This I confess to you, that according to which they call a sect, it's like they thought this was like a little subgroup of Jude Judaism, the way. Uh, also, you can look at another verse. It's, uh, I think it's the last one. All right, here's that idea. The church is over and over again, the way, the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus. This, this, this idea that their, their lifestyle is so counter everything we know. You know, let's, let's think about this. The church was such a grassroots movement. I mean, it was like 120 people in a room praying. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They preach the gospel. People get saved. They start going and planting churches around. They're actually like taking care of the poor and sick and homeless. They're actually known, known historically for people would have babies and they didn't want them. They're poor. They just leave them on the side of the road. Christians would come and adopt the babies, take them in. It's like, that's, gonna, that's a financial burden. What are you doing? So we're known for foster care early on. I mean, the church was just radical in its love for people, for lostness, for injustice. For like this way, this lifestyle, they're, they're generous. They're not greedy they're not trying to steal they're actually helping and generous and giving like this way the way of Jesus is so counter everything we knew and it just changed the world and Jesus talked about this way it's also in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 but Jesus says this narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life you hear that narrow is the gate and difficult is the the way which leads to life this is going to be hard it's going to be hard to follow me it's narrow it's broad is the way that leads to destruction narrow is the gate the gate and the way that leads to life See, the way of Jesus is going to be different, different, difficult, counter what we've seen or experienced, maybe even in the church. This idea of the way of Jesus, is, it's a, a complete lifestyle. It's not just acknowledgement of the right beliefs. Do we get that? It's not just, I have the right beliefs, therefore I'm a Christian. There, it was so much more intended to be, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you following Jesus? He is the way, and you following the way of Jesus. It's intended to be carried out in this way, and that's why we're saying we want to practice the ways of Jesus. We want to carry this out. Now, let's, let's be honest. How many, for how many of us does this like sound exhausting? Like, I, I feel like a lot of times we can read the Bible and go, this is exhausting. Like, I've, maybe you thought, I've tried this. I've talked to people who go, I've tried to follow Jesus, and it just, it burnt me out. It was exhausting. John Ortberg, in his book on spiritual disciplines, he writes like kind of this model. He says, here's what we do. Uh, he says, we try hard, then we get tired, then we quit, and then we feel guilty, so we start all over and we try hard again, <laughs> right? It's not true. It's like, I try to follow Jesus. This is really difficult, and I get tired of it, and then I'm going to quit, and then I feel really guilt and shame about it, and then I'm going to try all over again. 
And, and here's what he goes on to say, and this is just key, you guys. Please do not miss this. When I say practice the way of Jesus, it's very intentional language, okay? He talks about the difference between trying and training. Trying and training. Trying and training. Because there's a big difference between trying something and training for something. And this is how Christianity is explained, is not to try it out, but to train. And this is so key. And I hope this can just kind of sink into our hearts. I don't want you to try the practices of Jesus, I want you to train with the practices of Jesus. You're like, Josiah, what is, is it semantics? Just work? No, such a big difference. So for example, I know many of you in here like to run, you're runners. God bless your soul, that's not me at all. But you like to run. If you're to c- invite me and say, Josiah, I'm doing this marathon tomorrow. We come on out? I'd be like, yeah, let's imagine. This is a hypothetical, obviously I wouldn't say yes. I'd be like, yeah, let's go. And I say yes, and I go, and you're running, and you've been training all year long, and then I get out there, and it's like mile, half a mile, I'm done, right? Like, I haven't trained for it. I'm not ready for it. My body's not built for it. If I were to try to do it, I would epically fit. I can't try to do that. I would have to train for it. I would need a lot of time. I would need to start small, take little bites, and go a little further, and a little further next time, and maybe one mile, then two miles, then maybe back to one mile, then maybe back to three miles. Or it'd just be a lot of just training. It'd be lo- it's not me trying to run it. There really is an immense difference between trying to accomplish something and training to do something. If I brought you to the gym and I'm like, hey, lift your body weight, and you're like, uh, like it'd be, you don't just, do, you just, you'd fail. The whole idea is that we must train, not try. Again, John Orberg would write and say it this way. He says, um, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. And I really want us to get this church. We are here not to try the way of Jesus, but to practice the way of Jesus, to train in the ways of Jesus. That you could go online right now and like watch karate YouTube videos and like kung fu and like, and you're like, oh, I just, I I watched countless hours. I now know karate. It's like, well, maybe you need a teacher. Maybe you need a guy. Maybe you actually need to go to like a dojo and practice and work. Maybe you need something like that. The idea with Christianity sometimes is that is like, well, I've had countless hours in this Countless hours of in the word, that's great. Maybe you can like visual, maybe you know, but have you practiced it? Have you done it with someone else? Have you had someone else train you and teach you? This is what we're trying to move towards, that idea of practicing the ways of Jesus. Not trying, but training for it. Paul told Timothy, he said, I want you to train yourself in godliness. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's just so you know, like, is this biblical? Absolutely. 1 Timothy 4. Uh, this is what Paul says. Rather, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Practice these things. Train yourself in godliness. He goes, give yourself entirely to them. Practice this out. He goes, there's a gift God has given you and you need to start working it out. There's a gift God has given you and don't neglect it and you need to start training it. And I think this is so true for all the church. Not that we need to try Jesus, try Christianity, but train what God has given. Use it. God has put in an immense amount of gifts, of power, of source, and that's him. And he says, work this out. Train. You need to exercise this. You need to use this. Don't neglect it anymore. Church, let's be, let's be a group of people that trains, that trains for God, that trains and practices the ways of Jesus. This is what he's saying. And let me just say this. I feel like for so long in my life, following Jesus early on, it was like exhausting because I would try to be good. I would try to do these things and I'd fail and I'd, get, I'd feel that guilt and shame and I'd try all over again. I'd fail. 
And it really does change things when you go, I'm not here to try, I'm here just to practice. I'm here to work at it step by step. I'm here to get better at it, be consistent in it. I will fail, and thank you, God, for grace. And I will fail, and, and again, like, but I'm practicing the ways. I'm not trying it out. I'm not like, this is like a season of my life. This, I'm practicing the, the way of Jesus. That's what you're here to do. You're here to practice the way of Jesus. Do you, do you agree? Do you see the difference between training and trying? And this is Paul's heart for us. And so let's, let's talk about this, because where do we begin? Where do we begin? When we say we practice the way of Jesus, where do we begin? So here's what we're going to talk through, just so you know. And this is why I want to take the first couple of weeks to kind of talk big picture about spiritual formation. Um, there is no set list for spiritual disciplines. There's not. We look at the scriptures. We look at the word of God. And what do we see Jesus do? And what do we see Paul and other leaders and men and women do in the church? We go, what do they do? We want to practice this. So um, here's kind of like a list of disciplines that we see in the scriptures. It's not complete, but here's what we're going to see primarily. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines in weeks to come, we're going to look at disciplines of engagement and versus disciplines of disengagement. Let me explain that. So do we, is it up here? I don't know if it is. No, it's okay. I'll just read it off to you. I can't see the TVs. All right, so here's some uh, just disciplines of disengagement. And you guys know these. It's solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy. Secrecy meaning I'm going to do things in secret not tell everyone about. Uh, listening, Sabbath, sacrifice. There's certain disciplines God has given us to say, disengage. Maybe you're always running. Maybe you're always going. And you need to pull back a little bit. And there's going to be these disciplines we're going to talk through. Not every single one of them, but we're going to talk through in the weeks to come about maybe you just need to disengage. I think South Florida, we probably need to work on disengagement. I'd say we're probably just high active energy and like God's just saying, I want you to be in silence and solitude and fasting. So we're going to talk about that in some weeks to come. Next there's uh, disciplines of engagement, which is worship, celebration. These are like outward things. Service, prayer, community, confession of sins, forgiveness, forgiving others. That is a practice. Submission, generosity, study. Study is one that kind of goes on both teams sometimes. You'll see that. But there's different disciplines of engagement and there's d- disciplines of disengagement. So I really want us to, again, hear this. So maybe you need to withdraw. That might be disengagement. Maybe you're like the person that I've been in the church forever and I'm still doing nothing. Um, I'm just kind of lukewarm in my faith. I'm kind of like always around it. And I'm, I, I show up. My body's physically there, but my mind and everything else is not. But like maybe you're that kind of been there. Maybe you need to now use disciplines of engagement. That could be community. That could be service. That could be worship. That could be, and you're trying to like take on certain practices daily in your life, and we'll look at what does that mean? How, does that, how do you carry those out? Here's one way of looking at this. Um, there's two primary ways I, I, the Bible talks about, two primary, primary ways in which we sin against God. It's called the sin of commission and the sin of omission. So the idea is this. Sin of commission is I'm committing sin. I'm doing something. I'm actively doing something. Sin of omission is I know I should do something, but I'm not. So one is, I shouldn't be doing this, but I still am. I'm committing sin. One is, I know I should be helping. I know I should be going out of my way, but I'm not. I'm sin of omission. It's like a laziness. The idea is sins of commission, you need to exercise the disciplines of disengagement. So for example, you struggle with lust, pornography, just going too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Your discipline should probably be fasting. should probably be solitude. Uh, Maybe your sin, on the other hand, is something where you're just lazy in your faith. And God's just calling you and saying, this, look at, you have a sin of omission. You, you drive by people all the time hurting and pain. Pull over, love them, serve them, give to them. You need to start practicing disciplines of engagement. Is this making sense, church? This is what we want to talk through, and this is what we want to carry out. As, as followers of Jesus, we want to practice the ways of Jesus. There are times Jesus goes, let me engage. And there's times where Jesus said, let me disengage. 
It's good. That's good. There's seasons of life for it. We're not going to look at you and be like, why are you doing that? It's like, just practice. Just Maybe if it's disengagement, practice it. If it's engagement, practice it. We're not going to compare and be like, who has more disciplines down? No, that's not, that's not the heart of this. We're not to try to work for our salvation. We have our salvation. We now want to work. Now we just want to like live it out. Uh, one person put it this way, or, and I love this. Jesus' death and, death and resurrection make it possible for us to enter the kingdom, but Jesus' example and teachings show us how to live in the kingdom. His death, his death and resurrection show us how to enter in, but his example and teachings show us now how we live while we're in it. And so this is the hope, is to practice the ways of Jesus in this way. So let me just say three things really quick. Please don't miss this. Three things, spiritual disciplines and formation is not. Um, first of all, spiritual disciplines are not a barometer of spirituality. Please don't look and be like, oh my gosh, that person has like nine disciplines down there. Extra, spe-. like no. The, the, the thought, to, to be honest too, is you can see people exercise disciplines and still not get the goal of the discipline. You can be fasting all day long, but you can be praying for an enemy all day long, but not growing in love. It's like, I pray for my enemies. Like, yeah, but you still hate them. Like, you can, the disciplines are not the goal. They're a means to the end. They're a means to the goal. We talked about that last week a little bit. Uh, spiritual disciplines are not necessarily unpleasant. Let me just, let me just say that. Some of you need to hear that. You know, when, I'm like, when I say, like, training for a marathon as my example, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, right? Like, if I was like, hey, you got to train for, like, a piety contest, you'd be like, oh, this is different. Like, sometimes disciplines actually are, like, great. So celebration is a discipline. That's something where I, I do believe I have to work on, which is I want to keep going, going, going. And God's like, you should celebrate more often with people and be like, good job. So I need to like practice that. And that's a fun one to practice. They, they don't always have to be like, oh, this is going to be so hard. It's like, actually, this is going to be so life-giving. Jesus did not come to just put burdens on us. We know that we'll end with that. But this is to be life-giving to you. So listen, let me just, again, we practice the way of Jesus. Church, as you look at this, as we talk about this, I would love for us to give ourselves over to these disciplines. I would love for this to shape us and form us for years to come. All in favor, say amen. <laughs> I would love for this to define us. But we, we practice these disciplines, but why? But why? Why do we practice? So number two is this, um, for the second point, is why practice the way of Jesus? Why, why do we do this? Just to feel good about ourselves? Like, why do we practice the ways of Jesus? A few reasons. I'm going to give you a couple really quick. I love how James says it in James 1.25. He says it this way. Um, because this one will be blessed in what he does. James 1.25 is like, if you're not just a hearer but a doer of the word, you're going to be blessed in what he does. That's a pretty good reason. I don't think, I think sometimes we can like dis- dismiss that as a church. Like, I don't want, it's like, no, you'll be, it's like there's something about taking on these disciplines that just lead to blessing. Doesn't mean it won't, you don't have pain. We'll, we'll talk about that right now. But it will lead to blessing. Here's, here's why we do this. It's our text today, if again you want to turn to, but why do we do this? According to Matthew 7, because it makes you wise and ready for the storms in life. Okay, so why do we do this? Why do we practice the way of Jesus? Can we read Matthew 7 again? Why do we do this? He goes, it makes you wise, and it makes you ready for storms. Look at Matthew 7, verse 24, one more time. Again, don't miss this. The heart of our text. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will like him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But... Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and it, and it great was its fall. Okay, you guys know this, but he's just saying, he's comparing and contrasting. Look at the wise man, look at the foolish man. The wise man built on just the stony ground, a strong ground, a good foundation. He goes, the foolish man builds on sand. Hey, from the outside, you can't really tell the difference. 
from the outside is just a house that's built. And you go, that's a strong looking house. By the way, house here is a metaphor for your life. Understand their house wasn't like us suburbs. It's like they ran their business out of their home. It was passed down to their family. It just kind of grew and grew and grew. Like you had more, maybe more land or maybe more homes built. And it was just like a metaphor for your whole entire life. And he's saying that the house that's built on a good foundation, that, that life, when the wind comes and the storm comes, it's not going to fall down. It's going to be able to test this, be able to stand the test of time. But that's the, the house that's built on the sand, the life that's just built on unstable things, when the storm comes, it's going to fail. I know you guys know this, but the whole point is stor- the storm is going to come regardless. The, regardless, the storm is going to come. Regardless, it's going to be on the house. What was it built on? See, maybe we, you've been around this, but have you ever seen up close someone's life just fall apart because you go, what was like, it built on? I feel like even now, just maybe just with Hollywood and certain people and careers, you're going, man, it just seems to be like disintegrating in front of everyone's eyes. And the question is, what were they building their life on? What are you building your life on? What am I building my life on? Is it the sayings and teachings and way of Jesus? Am I building my life on maybe success and money and I must get more and I'll be happy? Am I building my life on just popularity? Am I building my life on like fill in that blank? I think all of us, I don't think all of us are building our life on something. Jesus goes, if you hear my words and do them, you're like a wise man. If you hear my words, which all of you are, and don't do them, you're like the person, you built a house, good for you, but you built it on sand, and it's going to fall apart when the storm comes. See, all of us are, are pre- presented with this challenge today. You see, I, I, my hope for us is to say, I want to hear the sayings of Jesus and put them into practice. As the NIV says, NIV says, if you hear these things and put them into practice, you're a wise man. So we want to put the practice and the teachings of, we want to put the teachings of Jesus into practice. This is our hope. Why do we practice the ways of Jesus? Because it makes you wise and because you'll be able to stand the, the storms that come to you in life. And again, I know this is very subjective, but it, I've seen people's lives up close where you go, they go through something catastrophic and you go, how are they going to get through this? How are they going to still be like, not saying it will be hard, not saying it will be depression, not saying it will be lonely, but you've seen people and you go, oh my gosh, they made it. They went through the most traumatic thing in life and yet they made it. Why? Their life was built on Jesus. And then you see the other side where you say, they're, they're like, what's happening? Their life just seems to be falling apart and who are, where are they now? I've no idea. Because their life was built on something other than Jesus and other than his teachings. And so we're saying, why do we practice the ways of Jesus? Because we want to be wise. Amen. I also want to say this. We practice the ways of Jesus, not just to be wise, but because we love Jesus. Can we be really clear with this one? In John 14, 21, and this isn't just a sound like super spiritual, but this is very true. In John 14, 21, Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keep them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said that this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. You know, if you've ever seen someone who's like a, a Christian and you're like, it's like, man, I love Jesus. It's like, I love him so much. And it's like, and you look at their life and you're like, but you're like committing adultery and you're like murdered someone last week. And right, like, I don't think like you're, you say you love Jesus. Imagine talking to a husband or a wife who's like, I love my spouse so much. And yet I cheat on them all the time. That's no, say, I'm sorry. You might say you love them, but your lifestyle says otherwise. Jesus is saying that. He goes, those who love me, those who don't just say it, but those who actually love me, they keep my commands. There's something about just why we practice the ways of Jesus is because we want intimacy with Jesus. We want closeness with Jesus. If you've ever been faced with temptation and you're like, this is really hard. And let's say maybe one day you got it right and you didn't give in to that temptation. And you're like, Jesus, like we did it. 
right? Like, there's something like, I feel that closeness and intimacy with you. Like, thank you, Jesus. Not pat on my butt. Jesus, I, lo- I want to keep this intimacy. I love this intimacy with you. Or maybe you failed, and all of us have, and you, and you go, you feel that guilt and that shame, and 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins so you can have that intimacy again with God. This is the idea. is like, why do we follow the, the practices and teachings of Jesus? We love him. We want to not just say we love him in word only. Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. Follow me. 1 John 5, 3 says, the commandments of God are not burdensome. You know, like if you love someone, it's just not a burden. If I love someone, if I love my spouse well or my kids well, it's not a burden to serve them or love them or do things for them. It's like, I, I love them. Jesus, Jesus, like, if you love me, it's not this burden. So we do it, we just do it because we love him. And, and that, not only that, but we do that because we want to make Jesus' love tangible. In John 15, 12, Jesus said, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. We want to make the love of Jesus tangible. We want people to see, wow, there's something about the church that is radically different. Why do we practice the way of Jesus? Because Jesus' ways work. Jesus', Jesus ways make you wise. But we want people to actually see the love of God. Now, we'll just close with this. How do we practice the ways of Jesus? So how do we, we get it. We practice ways, but how do we do this? All right, we said this very on, early on in the beginning. But listen, we are formed by teaching, practice, community, and the Holy Spirit. We want to be intentional with that. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We will talk about community and teachings more, the disciplines more. But... We are formed by practice. So how, how do we do this? How do we actually put these things to practice? Um, I'm going to give you guys one simple thought. We'll move on. Here's the idea. Your identity and my identity shape our behavior. So um, there's a lot of writing about habits and disciplines. And for those of you who love to like, read about habits and disciplines, it's awesome. There's some great psychology behind it. There's a guy who wrote a book. named His name is James Clear. He wrote Atomic Habits. He says, do, how do habits stick and how do other habits fall off the map? And why, don't people, why do some people thrive in habits? Why do some people not thrive in habits? He talked about this idea, and this is a biblical idea. He talked about identity-based habits versus uh, outcome-based habits. So for example... There's two people that approach an issue the same way. Let's say, for example, he uses like smoking. So smoking, someone who goes, I don't, I don't want to smoke anymore, an outcome-based person, when they're offered a cigarette, it says, I'm trying, I'm trying to quit. They think of the outcome. I'm trying to quit. But if you offer that same cigarette to an identity-based person, they're saying, I gave up smoking. I no longer smoke. And his whole point in this is, one views it from a place of who their identity is, what their identity is. One views it from, I'm just trying really hard not to do this and give myself to, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to smoke. And he basically goes on to say, those who have that identity-based desire for ha- just continuing the habit, they seem to actually thrive and usually carry out their discipline because they had their identity, their, their whole mindset shift. So for example, for us as Christians, like, is this biblical? Absolutely. The Bible says, you are a new creation and in Christ Jesus, the old things have passed away, all things have become new. Do you ever read that and go, I feel like the old things are still around. I, I, I just love Paul's like just saying, this is your identity in Christ. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Ephesians 1.14, you are holy and blameless. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The idea the scripture is trying to say is you're redeemed. You're bought at a price. You have a whole new lifestyle, new will, new character. We approach this idea of how do we practice the ways of Jesus from a standpoint I have a new identity. I'm not trying to do this anymore. I, I'm a whole new creation. The caterpillar, as we talked about last week, could try to fly, but once he's metamorphosized, he doesn't have to try to. He, he, he flies. The idea for us is we, we look at our new identity and we try to do our practices. We don't try. We train to do our practices through that lens of our new identity. And not only that, but here's what I want to just end with. Um, how do we practice the ways of Jesus? We learn from Jesus by going to him and resting. We learn from Jesus by going to him and resting. Let's just end with this verse that I know we know well. It's, it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. 
I'm going to read to you in the message version, because Eugene Peterson, who writes a lot about disciplines, I think approached it from the standpoint, he did a good job. Here's what he wrote. He says, are you tired? Listen, church, just listen. You can put your notes down, you can listen. You're like, I'm tired of, listen. I know, just listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, I love this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How do we practice the ways of Jesus? Just come to me, learn of me, spend time with me. It's really not, it's like bringing the presence of God into your life. How do we break addiction and strongholds? Do we go, I want to break this addiction and stronghold. Bring the presence of God into your life. Just say, God, I want you to come take over every part. God, I want to enjoy you, spend time with you. I want to give you room and place. I love the story in 1 Samuel 5 where the Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant. They steal it and they bring it into their own temple, the Temple of Dagon. They bring it in there. The next day they find Dagon lying face down in a, a place of worship before the Ark of the Covenant. And they go, that's not good. So they put him back up. You can read the story. They put him back up. And the next day, they walk in the temple, and they see Dagon face first. This time, his head fall off, and his hands are facing up in another state of worship, broken before the ark of God, and they're going, we got to get this thing out of here. It's ruining our idols. It's making our idols fall down. And I absolutely love that story, because here's the thing. All of us do have idols in our life, and we go, I can't get rid of this stinking idol in my life. I can't get rid of this stronghold. I hate this Dagon thing in my life. Whatever. And here's, we try really hard to get rid of it. We try really hard to make it fall down. But how does it fall down? They brought in the presence of God. They brought in the Ark of the Covenant and it just naturally fell down. This is what Jesus is saying. Come to me, learn of me. Just bring me into your life. Bring, just bring my presence into your life. We want to exercise disciplines of disengagement because we just want to bring in the presence of God into our life. Church, I hope we can practice the ways of Jesus in a, in a way that would just lead to like, maybe go, I haven't, I feel like there's rivers of living water flowing for me. I know Jesus promised that. Like, we don't want it just to be theory or teaching. We want to practice the ways of Jesus. Amen. This is so important for us. Here's the practice and discipline of the week. Ready? You're like, oh gosh, another to do? No. We, we started off last week. I, I'm afraid to ask. I'm not going to ask. But we did give one discipline last week. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just reveal to you one insecurity or sin. Just pray and say, God, reveal to me. Write that down. And then just ask for change. Say, Holy Spirit, change that. That was it. Here's the practice or discipline this week that I would love for all our community leaders to not only do, but to follow up on. Um, here's the practice and discipline. Read the Sermon on the Mount everyone here. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Pray throughout your reading and just identify one teaching and practice it. So for me, I, I have mine. I have the one thing that jumped out at me that I could not like avoid. And so I have to, I'm praying over the last couple of days and this rest of this week, I'm going to be praying over that thing. So Jesus talks a lot about money. He talks about lust. He talks about anger. He talks about prayer. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about seeking first. He talks about a lot of things. The idea is let us identify what that one, that one teaching that you feel like I needed this week, put this into practice. Hopefully, eventually, we obviously follow the ways of all of it, but let's just put one thing into practice this week. So this is the discipline for this week. You're reading the Sermon on the Mount. You're praying throughout. As the Holy Spirit reveals to you that thing that you just go, oh, I got to put this into practice. You're going to put this into practice. You're going to do this every day until Sunday, and you're going to talk about it in your groups. And we're going to try to live, and again, it's not about doing, it's about training. It's about trying, it's like, I want to train myself in godliness. So church, that means train yourself in godliness. Here's how we're going to do that. Do we agree? Train yourself in godliness is not just like, I'm just going to wait passively on the couch until next Sunday. No. 
we're going to train ourselves in godliness. And this is going to be the way we're going to do it. Amen? I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship. And what a good thing to shape us and form us. So let's just pray and worship, and we'll end with that. Father, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who is the way, who is the way. There's no other way to you, Father. There's no other way to your presence or your love except through your son, Jesus. Thank you. Father, we thank you. We want to experience your love through your son, Jesus. We want to experience this abiding through your son, Jesus. We just want to experience you. Lord, I just ask that we would not just hear the word, but we'd do it. We'd put into practice the things we've heard that I would put into practice. That Jesus did not be about attaining perfection, but just training ourselves in the ways of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are a substitute, you are our identity, you've made us a new creation, and now we just want to carry that out, walk in that. And God, as we move forward and talk about each discipline, maybe one by one, um, Lord, we just ask that it be something you just massage into our lives, our hearts, and just be a part of who we are. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that we can sing and worship, and we just pray that this would shape us again more into the image of your Son. In your beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's just stand and close our time with some worship.